everyone. Welcome to another episode of For Light and Life. I'm your host, Lucy, and today we're doing another Star Wars show review, this time for Andor. This was a pretty long show, with 12 episodes about 50 minutes long, spanning over two months, so it'll be a lot to go through. But I did bring this upon myself when I decided to wait until the very end to have an episode about it. I likely won't go as in-depth for each episode as I did for Tales of the Jedi, for the sake of keeping this under an hour. First, I apologize for this episode unexplainably not coming out when it was supposed to, and being delayed a whole two weeks. I was sick again, but better late than never. And some of you may have realized that according to the every other week release schedule, next episode is supposed to be on Christmas Day, and here's the plan for that. I do have something exciting planned and in the works, and if I can find the time between a whole bunch of things that I have going on, I will stick to that date. If not, it'll probably be delayed just a week or maybe even a couple days. I'm sure you understand the very busy holiday season schedule. Uh, anyway, back to the episode. Overall, I think Andor is a fantastic show. I'm glad we're getting another season of it. I like the visuals, the characters, the storyline. Sometimes all the different side plots got a little bit much for me, but it was still really enjoyable. And, much like Kenobi, maybe even more so, this is geared towards an older audience, and I am not a huge fan of how Star Wars has been growing more and more towards adult viewers and TV-14 ratings, because I am not an adult, and I will say there are things in recent shows that make me a tad uncomfortable, and I prefer not to watch my family because it doesn't feel like a family show. I'm gonna try to not let this impact my overall opinion too much, but that is just a note I have. Fellow non-adults, don't worry, I'm not gonna talk about the more mature content in Andor, or in any show, book, or any media but there will definitely be a lot of spoilers in general. And another interesting thing. A lot of people are saying Andor is the perfect Star Wars show. It's the best content we've gotten in recent years. But never once while watching it did I stop and think, gosh, this is amazing. I wish more shows were like this. I watched it more for the sake of being caught up than because I was so excited to see what happened next. But the thing is, it was pretty good. I did enjoy plenty of episodes and individual scenes, but it just didn't excite me that much overall. Maybe it's because this isn't exactly my favorite time period or set of characters, but I do need to be more open-minded about that. I'll give an actual rating of the show at the end, but this is overall what I think. To be honest, the two things that stood out to me the most in the whole show were the time we saw that judge eating actual pistachios. Pistachios! And, of course, all those times that Cyril Karn was eating his blue milk cereal. Those might just be going into my list of favorite Star Wars moments just because of how startling and hilarious they were to see. There are, of course, many other things I have thoughts on, so let's go episode by episode and talk about them. Episode 1, Casa, or Casa, I don't remember how to pronounce it, frankly. The very first impression of the show. Looking back, it did a good job of setting up the rest of the plot. 
We saw a bit of Cassian's recklessness, where he came from, his life on Ferrix, and we were also introduced to many key players, such as Bix, Tim, and our favorite slash least favorite, Cyril Karn. I'm probably going to talk about him a lot because he is a very interesting character. He has so many sides and ways he acts around his mom versus his boss versus <clears throat> Deidre Miro, which we'll all get into later. Nothing in particular stood out to me in this episode, aside from the part where he immediately kills some guys 10 minutes into the show. Partly because I was just trying to figure out where the show is going to go and who these people are, but I will say that Cassian was definitely stirring up some trouble even before Luthen hired him and he got involved in all the Imperial drama. Episode 2, that would be me. We got some more flashbacks. The guy bangs the big bell thing from the bell tower, which was both interesting and irritating, I will say. And by now, the Imperial Security Bureau is already on to Cassian and trying to hunt him down. They did get right down to business with the show, which I do appreciate. Cassian is trying to sell this mysterious artifact he found so he can get off of Ferrix, which is understandable when you're turning into a wanted criminal. And then the unthinkable happens. His friend turns him over to the Empire. Well, their relationship is unclear. They might be more acquaintances than friends. I don't know if they liked each other all that much to begin with. But I really wasn't a big fan of Tim. We did meet Marva, who I liked, and B2EMO. Now, I'm not a droid person. I don't need all the supposedly lovable robot Star Wars just throws into most of its shows. And that applies somewhat to B. But I will say that something about his personality and sort of sensitivity was interesting. Also, I have to mention Cyril's very sad attempt at a speech to his little group. He's just not great at anything, it seems. He has this sort of tried-to-be-a-villain-failed-miserably vibe. Episode 3, Reckoning. We continued with the flashbacks, which I admit I did not love. I was more interested in the present-day story than with little Cassian. And in the end, I feel like it really didn't tell us all that much, or at least it could have just told all that in a smaller period of time and gotten it over with. I did like the scene with Cassian and Luthen meeting for the first time, and then the dramatic escape was really cool with all the big hanging things dropping. And all because Cass just had to send a message to his droid while the droid was being interrogated. And why do those messages even play out loud for the droid anyway? Can't droids just play it through some internal wires without having to use external speakers? Anyway. I thought the village-wide alert system with everyone banging on those metal things was a creative idea, though I did wonder why the stormtroopers and imperial people didn't just try to stop them all. That was a little weird for me. Tim was killed. And the final shots of the episode were very impactful with the flashback of Cassian uh, staring at the viewport matching the present scene. Episode 4, Aldani. We get thrown into this new storyline where Andor is working with Slash 4, this group of rebels, to basically rob a bank of Imperial funds. And while this wasn't my favorite story arc, I did like seeing how Cassian interacted with these people who are in some ways similar to him, in that they aren't fans of the Empire, 
but they're also very different. They're seeing it as sort of taking a stand against injustice. He's seeing it as a one-time job, get the money, get out. We also met Dedramiro, and I can't decide if I'm intrigued by her or if I really dislike her. I'm leaning a little towards dislike right now. She's sort of very, very imperial and just a bit irritating to me. Now, I haven't seen any other reviews yet, but I have a feeling a decent amount of people aren't big fans of the Mon Mothma scenes in the show, namely my brother. He finds it very boring. But I really liked exploring her character and her relationship with her family and this whole secretly taking funds to help Luthen situation. Episode 5, The Axe Forgets. I really like the title of this episode, or I like the quote that those words are from. I believe it's Skeen who says, The axe forgets, but the tree remembers, as a metaphor to how people who do damage can oftentimes forget about what they've done, who they've hurt, and just breeze by the entire situation, because it doesn't really affect them all that much in most cases. But the victims are going to think about it over and over, because a lot of times it becomes this defining moment that even if they quote-unquote recover from, they're never truly going to forget. I really, really like this quote because it is absolutely true and wise, and applies to so many things on so many levels. I'm sure most of the rebels and later resistant members are fighting because they've been the tree, they've lost something because of the Empire, and the axe just forgets. And another quote from this episode, this time from Vel, is everyone has their own rebellion. Which I also thought was cool because everyone is fighting for their own reasons and has this personal motivation to stand their ground. Other than that, we did get some interesting Mon Mothma stuff, including some conflict with her daughter, Lita. Now, why is it that everyone with a connection to politics names their kid Leia, Lita, or Clea? I don't understand. The Empire just stripped parents of all creativity, I guess. Episode 6, The Eye. We finally saw the bank high situation, which I did enjoy. They did the classic trick of wearing Imperial uniforms to sneak in unsuspectfully, which isn't a word. And we also got some new variables when they took this Imperial guy's family hostage, which might actually be a first in Star Wars that Rebels took a family hostage. I really don't have much to say about this episode because it's all there in the plot. It wasn't much surprise when almost everybody died. It's just Vel, Cassian, and Cinta. They just left on the planet. More ISB meetings. I wasn't a fan of these scenes. I have very little memory of anything that happened in them. Moving on. Episode 7, Announcement. And we're back on Ferrix again! I do like the whole small town vibe it has. It's like a mixture of Moss Eisley and that foresty village in the Mandalorian for me. Cassian and Marva have this very strange conversation about leaving Ferrix, and when they reach this sort of agreement to either leave the next day or maybe think about leaving the next day, I don't remember which one it was, it just seemed so suspicious. One of them, or both of them, seemed like they were lying to the other. Well, we found out through some flashbacks that Andor's dad was killed by some Imperials a while ago, which isn't all that surprising, frankly. 
There were some more ISB meetings where Dedra is being ignored every time she tries to tell them that the heist is a larger message and they should be taking it more seriously. What else is new? Vel talks to Clea, who looks suspiciously similar to Leia. There are a lot of rumors about that. And because there always have to be more complications, now everyone's trying to kill Cassian for one reason or another, which will ultimately play out in the finale. And suddenly, Cassian's on this new planet where he gets arrested by this droid, who is the same model as K2SO, for some absolutely made-up reason with no evidence to prove it. And for a bunch of random charges, he gets sentenced to six years in a prison as the judge eats a handful of actual Earth pistachios. Yes, that's what I'm going to focus on here. Episode 8, Narkina 5. This whole prison factory arc is one of my favorite storylines in Andor, because while you would think that would be very repetitive and boring, they actually did a really great job of keeping things interesting and purposeful while in this same setting and routine. The sort of prisoner overseer who is also a prisoner himself, Kino Loy, has a very developed story, and his actor, Andy Serkis, does a remarkable job with that role. And Saw Gerrera is back exactly the same as he was in Rogue One. He is one of the most extreme rebels, and he and Luthen have some pretty different views about how the Rebellion should act and be run. We got the first of several very awkward encounters between Dedra and Cyril, who I forgot to mention has been having a midlife crisis, eating blue milk cereal, living in his mom's apartment, and working a miserable job that an infamous Uncle Harlow set up for him. Uh, Dedra and Cyril's personalities really clash, they got off on a very wrong foot, and it only gets weirder from there. Also, Bix got captured. Episode 9, Nobody's Listening. Back to our big prison construction factory, where they are building parts for the Death Star, which is a really smart, if not evil, idea, Imperials. Cassian is trying to plot an escape, but Kino is not having it because he's almost at the end of his sentence and he just wants to get out peacefully, which is understandable. This elderly prisoner, Olaf, unfortunately has a stroke, and then the medic euthanizes him instead of treating it, implying that he's doing Olaf a favor because no one's getting out of prison. The Empire's just shipping them off from their factory, and then some prisoners found out, and that's why they fried a whole floor of them. It is extremely Palpatine-like, but the good news is it convinced Kino to go along with the plan. Vel is now supposedly Mon Mothma's cousin, which is a plot twist, and Bix is being interrogated about Andor and Luthen. Things get very, very weird when Cyril has been stalking Dedra, but luckily she can have him arrested, which frankly she should, and she seems capable of taking care of herself even when he's acting creepy. Episode 10 one way out. It's the big escape from prison! There's a very stressful scene where Cassian is sawing at a water pipe with some very blunt-seeming piece of metal, but he manages to get back to the workplace just in time, albeit soaking wet. The water damages the floor's shock system, which takes away the Imperial's main weapon, and Kino gets his spotlight moment where he gives this inspirational speech to all the prisoners. Thankfully, it's much better than Cyril's speech. And we're all so happy when the prisoners jump out of the prison and swim away. 
And then we're all crushed when Kino reveals he can't swim, which is a very moving and tragic ending. Meanwhile, on Coruscant, Mon Mothma is talking to Devo Skulton, I believe is how you say his name, who is a pretty awful guy and will only help Mon if he can introduce his son to Lita, both of whom are young teenagers, mind you, to start arranging a marriage for them. Isn't that lovely? And to finish it all off, Marva's sick. Episode 11, Daughter of Ferex. The penultimate episode. Cassian and his buddy Melchi get caught by these interesting Narkinians and then manage to talk them out of turning them over to the Empire because the prison was ruining the water. And even more than that, they get a ride to the planet where Andor stashed his money. Back on Ferex, the unthinkable yet also completely thinkable, happens. Marva dies. And the droid is so sad! There's this custom on Ferrix, apparently, where when you die, they turn your ashes into a brick, carve your name into it like a tombstone, and then put the brick into a wall so you can sort of keep building up your town and become part of it, which is really interesting. Mon and Vel are still hanging out on Coruscant, where Leda is involved in some sort of Chandrillan religious activity, much to her mom's dismay. Cyril is informed through an aggravatingly poor quality communication about Marva's death, and that Cassian might show up to her funeral. Luthen and Saw finally agree on whatever it was they were arguing about, and then Luthen takes out an Imperial tractor beam on his way from their planet, on a day's work, I guess. Finally, in a very well-played scene, Cassian finds out about Marva's death with an amazing performance, as always, by Diego Luna. Episode 12, Rick's Road. We have reached the finale! Cassian is, of course, back on Ferex for his mom's funeral, as everyone predicted, but in his defense, he is doing a pretty good job of being sneaky. He gets this nice scene full of a bunch of inspiration from various friends and family he's lost, and we have a beautiful Star Wars marching band, and although it was no cantina band, it was cool to listen to and see, especially with all the color-coded uniforms. Marva has this final, very moving message that B plays for them all, ending with her shouting, Fight the Empire. An Imperial officer very unwisely kicks over B, and there's really no going back from there. Every citizen is now fed up with the Empire and starts a riot. My mom was cheering the entire time the citizens were attacking the Dromiro, which was very satisfying to see, since I have decided, yes, I do greatly dislike her. But then Cyril sort of had to make things horrible again when he saves her, and we're left feeling both uncomfortable and slightly terrified at the little exchange afterwards, so that'll be interesting if they're back in season two. Amazingly, Cassian actually manages to get all his friends into a ship and off the planet, and it's almost too good to be true that it went so smoothly for him, since there are three different parties on Ferex that day who wanted him dead. Mon and her husband Perrin have a whole conversation in the speeder to throw the spy driver off a trail, and it was very convincing. I believed it for a while because I am very slow to pick up on certain things. The almost final scene of the episode is Cassian sneaking into Luthen's ship and telling the rebel recruiter to kill me or take me in. And after a moment of confusion where I thought Cass was saying to turn him into the Empire, I realized he actually meant to join the rebellion, so that was good. 
there was a post credit scene where, surprise, surprise, all those parts the prisoners were making are being used to build the Death Star. And that's Andor. That was a long discussion. I'm glad it's over. But it did make me remember how much I like the show. You know what? I think I'm going to rate it a... 8.5 out of 10. I thought it was going to be much lower, but after a lot of contemplation, I think it does deserve a high score. I may not think it's the most amazing Star Wars media ever like some people do. I mean, have you already forgotten the Clone Wars finale? But I admit it was a solid show. And now because I can't talk about Andor anymore, we're going to transition to voicemails and let someone else talk for a minute. one and only voicemail is from the one and only Addie. Hey, Lucy, it's Addie back at you with another voicemail. Uh, I probably, this probably won't be played till two weeks later because this is extremely late. But, uh, here's what's going on. I'm going through a little bit of a writer's block right now, working on my second script. And I've gotten to the point where I had to just completely restore, restart. I've got no idea what I'm going to do. So, I need some inspiration. If, uh, you know, uh, to help me get through this. Uh, that would be extremely helpful. And I would appreciate it so much. Anyway, I hope you have an awesome day. And may the force be with you. Bye. Well, don't worry, it wasn't too late to make it in this episode because it got delayed a very long time. And even if it hadn't, really any voicemails that come in before noon on the day it's released are going to make it in because I procrastinate a lot. Anyway, I know the feeling, Addy. I've sent in multiple voicemails to Empire Radio begging for inspiration myself. And I'm here to help however I can. I know it's a rough time, but you're gonna get through this. We can brainstorm ideas later if you'd like. I can give you little sentence starters or prompts. And there's actually this very helpful book I read last year called Brave the Page by NaNoWriMo, aka the National Novel Writing Month people, which has a lot of good writing tips and tricks. For instance, one thing they suggest is just making a list of wild and random what-if questions. Like, what if Omega meets and befriends another prisoner? What if Omega overhears an Imperial secret? What if some sort of natural disaster or unrelated event that impacts the setting happens and gives her an opportunity to escape? Another tip they have is to just write through the block, which doesn't mean to force it, but just to write anything random down, even if it's nonsense. Just write about how you feel when your siblings interrupt you, what you hope will happen tomorrow, how you hate having writer's block. Because just physically putting words down, even if they have nothing to do with your story, can sometimes spark your imagination back up again. I'm going to stop there for the sake of time, but I'm an email away if you'd like more. Thank you for the voicemail, Addie, and now it's time for our bi-weekly drabble. If you're new here and don't know what this term means, a drabble is a short story exactly 100 words long, and I read one I wrote every episode. This week we have a little fanfiction titled Pretend. Here it is. They said, 
politicians needed to pretend. Politicians needed to mask and fake and act. They needed to be calm and factual and sly. Padme had tried to play the part of the blank, cool-headed, calculating senator, and she had gotten nowhere. But there was another path. To let passion strengthen her words, to let emotion and raw honesty give new meaning to her fight. She had won her case, not because she hid her heart, but with her heart ache for Tecla's family, with her truth about the people they all served. They said politicians needed to pretend. They were wrong. So, I sort of love this one a lot. Uh, it's officially somewhere in my top three favorite drabbles. I think it's pretty easy to understand, even if you haven't seen the Clone Wars episode this is based off of. In which case, you should absolutely go watch that. It's season three, episode 11, Pursuit of Peace. But there are two main reasons I love it. I'm proud of the way I structured it. I think it has a lot more of an impact and sort of a plot that way. And I really like the topic. I've been wanting to write a Padme fic for a while, and this topic of emotion and passion is really important to me. I think emotion is both natural and necessary, and yet there are somehow still places and communities that frown upon it. But no matter who you are, you have a right to show when you're passionate about something or feeling something without being chastised or dismissed. I'm going to refrain from turning this into a whole speech again, but basically I love how Padme has this different approach to politics and how she's fighting for change through the Senate and in the Senate itself. If you have feedback, if you have suggestions, if you want to talk to me about the frustrations of your incredibly busy schedule or the book you read last week, or if you want to help this podcast grow, here's how you can reach me and lend a hand. You can send me an email through my fan email, which is for lightandlife.podcast at gmail.com, all lowercase, no spaces. This is great if you have something you want to say, but for whatever reason, you can't send in a voicemail. That being said, you can definitely send me a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. There's a link in the description for that. And as long as it's family-friendly and you have not specifically asked me not to play it, then I will play it on the show. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you listen. This helps new people come over and find the show. Go ahead and follow the podcast if you like this sort of content. It's every other Sunday. And finally, please share the show with your community so our community can grow. Thank you for listening to this week's very long but satisfying episode. I'm Lucy, and let's look for the light and life in our world together. <laughs>